This is Sidebar, where we break away from the echo chamber to give you the inside track on the latest legal issues and trends in business, law, and society, and predict what they mean for your future. Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of Sidebar's Future of Litigation season. I'm Lawrence Lieberman, Disputes and Investigations Partner at Taylor Wessing. And in this episode, I'm going to consider the impact of technology on litigation funding with fellow Disputes and Investigations Partner Nick Storrs and EMEA Head of Origination at Litigation Capital Management, Matthew Denny. Let's jump into the discussion. So as we all know, in the last few years, there's been a great increase in the development and the launch of various litigation-focused technology tools. And I sort of classify them into two main buckets, the first being tools which digitize case management and process, and then the second bucket being tools which attempt to give a view on merits and outcomes of dispute. Uh, I want to start the conversation talking about the the former category, so case management software. Nick, if I could start with you just to give some thoughts from the law firm's perspective about how we might use case management uh, tools and software and how they might help us bring better formed case summaries to funders and so on. One of the big challenges, I think, whenever looking to fund a case is getting the information together and being able to present it to a funder in a way which enables them to make an, an informed investment decision. And from a law firm's perspective, there are, there are two aspects of that. First is the speed to be able to go to the market and get funding for a case. But added to that is the time commitment. And law firms often have to spend quite a bit of time investing in presenting a case to a funder. There's formulating the strategy. There's the case analysis. There's pulling together the documents that a funder will want to see and then engaging with discussions with funders about the case to explain aspects of the case and to enable a funder to be able to make that investment decision. And a funder rightly wants to be provided with that information to be able to make that decision. So from a law firm point of view, I think being able to use technology to achieve that aim will inevitably both increase speed and then reduce the time commitment needed to be able to deliver to a funder what they need to be able to make a decision. So being able to automate all of that is going to be hugely advantageous. And I think there's two aspects of that. Firstly, cases doubtless come onto this in in the course of this discussion. There are huge numbers of documents in litigation these days. So being able to use a case management tool which can collate those documents, identify themes within those documents, even identify documents which are key to a particular case or issue are going to really help drive speed and efficiency in getting to a funding decision. And then there is the separate aspect of broader case management to be able to make sure that a a funder has access potentially to the documents, is able to see them and is able to readily get the information that they need to be able to make a decision. And so that upfront piece for a law firm is really important, being able to draw all of that together and, and technology has a huge part to play in that. Yeah. 
Thank you. And Matt, from from your perspective, I, I guess that the law firms that you work with uh, who bring propositions to you, you would want to make sure that they are organised and clear in the way that they present uh, the case proposals to you. So using these sorts of tools is, 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 is likely to be a good thing. Absolutely. I mean, I think the starting point is that any firm bringing uh, a claim to us for consideration will have some form of case management software for the lifespan of, of the litigation, whether that's document management, relevant billing guides, et cetera, which obviously becomes more sophisticated as, as time goes on. But the uh, disclosure products that become ever more sophisticated get utilized as well. But I think starting at the beginning, which is the presentation of the case to a funder, Nick makes a very valid point. I mean, our job is not to go through the, the reams of reams of of information and go through each individual document in a data room. Our job is to analyze the lawyer's views of the claim, to understand their strategies, their their views on merits, their views on the risks. So I think having firms that have um, invested in that software and are able to bring a lot more thorough funding memos to us, it's a much more powerful uh, presentation at the beginning rather than us having to go through all of it. The information ourselves because our job is not to be the lawyers our job is to assess the views of the lawyers running the claim it's it's a subtle difference but i think a very important one so yes a- anything that aids the ability for law firms to bring cases to us um it's going to be nothing but a benefit and i think the other thing as well is a lot of funders ourselves included won't fund early case analysis because we may end up spending money when there's no actual claim there so anything that digitizes, speeds up, makes the process of creating a funding memorandum more efficient is going to be beneficial to everybody. I, I think that's right. And from our perspective, some of the tools that we are, are using at the moment, they actually give us the ability to take on that case analysis in a really cost-effective way, in a way that perhaps we might not wanted to have done so in the past. So if clients come to us with a case that requires funding, but required us to invest a huge amount of time in pulling all of the pieces together to present to funding. That might have put us off in certain cases, but having the machine pull together smart chronologies, you know, links between key documents and actors and so on, which is features within some of the tools that we use at the moment. And as Nick said, makes the whole process a lot quicker to reach an initial view to present for funding. All right, then. So we've talked about perhaps the more vanilla aspect of litigation technology there. Let's turn to perhaps a slightly more controversial category of litigation technology, which is some of the tools and software that we're seeing coming to the market at the moment, which claim to be able to predict the outcome of cases, to give views on the legal merits and so on. Matt, turning to you, as as an investor in litigation, what sort of role do these technologies play, do you think, in, in the decision to invest? The advancement of artificial intelligence on case predictions will become more and more sophisticated as time goes on. I think the development of this area of technology is going to be incredibly useful for funders and indeed for law firms and of course clients. But it's never going to replace the human element. Litigation at its heart is a human process. It's a human decision. So I want to separate two elements out. One is those disputes that can potentially become, I suppose, technologically commoditized and those that will always go through a court process where a human, a number of individuals will, will make the decisions. 
And I think case prediction software will be of great help to law firms who want to decide to take risk, to clients who want to spend money on litigation, and to funders who want to invest in litigation. But as I said, it's never going to replace it. But we are at LCM looking at various tools to um, assist us in our investment committee decisions. And there is some incredible software out there, and it just gets stronger and stronger. Uh, We were discussing one actually this morning and looking at it now as opposed to where it was a year, 18 months ago, and it's come on exponentially. So I think it is going to be a very large part of a of the litigation process, whether it's funded or not funded, but it's never going to replace the human element. It's never going to replace the experience. It's going to be huge assistance when you're looking at data points that can be extrapolated and the views particular judges have in particular types of cases, their attitude to security for costs, their attitude towards potentially investors or states in arbitrations. It's patterns. It's data and it's patterns and it's algorithms. So it's going to be a very important part of our process, but it's not going to be a replacement for the investment committee discussing the nature of the claim, the merits, the external due diligence point of view. So it's going to be very useful, but it's not going to replace uh, the process completely. And 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 hopefully not the legal team. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. I mean, the, 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 someone said to me, well, if it becomes so sophisticated that it can predict the outcome of a case. Why do they need to fund it? And law firms, I think, will take more risk as we go forward and these become more uh, accepted and more relied upon. But I don't think it will ever replace external capital for litigation and arbitration. Uh, I just think it will allow law firms to take more risk and for us to make potentially more investments because there'll be smaller budgets if, if firms do take alignments and risk with us. Nick, what's your thinking on this in response to that? Well, look, I, I agree with Matt. I mean, uh, look, cases are built up of human activity being judged by humans. And until you, everything is automated, it's very difficult to see how the decision-making process can be automated. But that's not to say that case prediction software and the type of technological advancements that's, that are being worked on and, and which we will no, no doubt see in the future don't have a role to play. Matt talks about, for example, law firms taking risking cases. And that's, I think, a very good example of where case prediction and case analytics software may have a very real um, role to play in the way that law firms approach their own risk taking in cases. Take damages-based agreements, for example, not an enormous uptake of damages-based agreements in the legal market. If you had good software in the background, being able to provide reliable, not case prediction, but certainly reliable risk assessment on large cases because they're able to review documents, uh, large data sets very quickly because they are able to understand legal issues, at least in a fundamental and basic form, because the AI is sophisticated enough to deal with it, then that will inevitably enable law firms to be able to take positions in cases, which is going to be of benefit both to funders and of benefit to clients because costs will be reduced and decision-making can be a lot quicker. So if I can just add, the one thing I forgot to mention earlier is that the case prediction software could predict as much of guaranteed success as it can do. The reality is nothing can account for a client contradicting themselves in a witness box or an expert not performing in the way that they should do and things changing. It's that element of human interaction which can also massively affect ultimately the investment for us because you can still lose a very, very strong client. You're listening to Sidebar. 
subscribe now for the inside track on the latest legal issues and trends in business, law and society and what they mean for your future. Just thinking about another area of development for for technology in relation to funding, the funding market in particular, is is thinking about enforcement. And we know that funders, there's no point in making an investment unless you can actually recover. And so one of the things which we know yourselves and the funding market generally, Matt, look at right at the start is recovery and enforcement. And of course, we do as well with clients. I mean, we have the same discussion. But I was just curious to see whether technology which could identify accurately and reliably assets for enforcement would be something that would be of interest, you think, to the funders? Well, absolutely. I mean, I say it more often than I I remember now that there's a difference between a great claim and a great investment. And you're absolutely right. We look at the collection point as one of the very first points to consider because you might have the best plan in the world, but if you're not going to see any money because the counterparts are insolvent, there's complex trust structures, (laughs) whatever it may be, then you're never going to make that investment. And I think as technology advances and there are ways and means of being able to do basic asset tracing exercises at an early stage, then it is helpful. I'm pretty appreciative of the fact that those positions will change. Companies will move assets around, people will move money around. We do need to understand at the outset what successful enforcement would look like. It's one thing going into a very large multinational company who has a number of uh, assets, bank accounts, and they're listed. So the element of a judgment is not such a concern. But there are an awful lot of claims where you are dealing with individuals or in jurisdictions where it's very difficult to understand how enforcement would work and what collection would look like. But I think having a, a, an early view of what that looks like is hugely beneficial. And so we're fully aware that things will change. But if we can't see a route to collection when we're looking at investment at the outset, we can't make that investment. And we are seeing things come to market which do make an impact. But then we have the, I suppose, the vicious circle of, of how do how do you get to that information? Because the businesses want to receive payment for that information, which is absolutely correct. In the same way that we don't tend to uh, seed fund law firms creating funding memorandums, we don't want to spend thousands and thousands of pounds doing an asset tracing exercise to find there's nothing there. You'll end up just spending an awful lot of money and getting nothing for it. So I think it's as much for those firms who are developing technologies to align themselves with the clients, the law firms, with funders, so that everybody's risk is rewarded if there are collections and rewards made at the end of the day. It strikes me that this is a bit of a gap in the lit tech market. I mean, subject to obviously admissibility and, and legality and so on in actually how you gather the information. This isn't an area which the litigation technology startups have focused on a great deal at the moment. Actually, I think that it, it would be a, a really valuable source of, of information for making that initial decision as to whether to proceed with litigation at all. Nick, I don't know whether you've got any other thoughts as well on this. I mean, I think it's a key aspect of it. If you go back to the beginning of the discussion, you know, part of it was we were talking about what, do, what does a funder want when you present an investment opportunity? And as Matt says, you know, being able to enforce is, is a key component in that. Of course, there are, there are tools and there are ways of going about it um, already in the market. There are ways of searching social media accounts. There's ways of identifying through public source data, perhaps where people's assets are or where assets are located. 
in which jurisdictions, uh, you know, talking about perhaps real estate, uh, re- real assets and examples such as that. But yes, it is, it is a gap. It is a gap in the market. I mean, we have a tool at Taylor Wessing, which is called TW Detect, which is able, for example, to conduct dark web data analytics. And at the moment, that is used primarily for assessing data breaches. But it's a tool which, for example, I think is something which we could use quite effectively to help with enforcement efforts, or, or at least identify the information which is out there, which might then be used to be able to identify location of assets and where enforcement uh, may need to take place and what the enforcement strategy is likely to have to be. We see a lot of early stage reports, and a lot of it is just public domain data. And it's not our job as funders to take that research. If there are tools that will bring it all together for a very early stage analysis, then it assists us. And we may take our own due diligence on that particular point. But again, our job is to review and scrutinize the material given to us. Our job is not to try and find that ourselves. I wanted to move next on to a a related topic, which is arbitration and funding of of arbitration cases and whether we think that there are any particular uh, characteristics of arbitration where technology might assist in, in getting that funded. Nick, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Yes, I mean, it's, it's interesting, of course, everything we're talking about largely applies to all court type disputes. But there is one particular aspect of arbitration, which I think lends itself quite uh, nicely to um, a technological solution, although it, it, even that has some potential issues. In arbitration, of course, it's an example of a dispute resolution process where um, you get an opportunity to choose or influence who is going to be the decision maker and you get to choose the arbitrator, that being within the sort of the, the framework of the process. And so any technological solution which enables a party to look at the field and assess who the potential candidates might be to take the role of an arbitrator in their given case and therefore to identify the right person for that dispute would be hugely powerful. Now, I think one of the the challenges in that is getting the data because what you might actually want to do is look at their past decision making, um, the, the types of cases that they've been involved in previously and do some analysis around that. Arbitration is most of the time, not always, but most of the time a private uh, and confidential process. So, Getting that data is perhaps difficult, but there are there are already tools out there, and there are already ways of going about identifying arbitrators for any given given case, and to look at their characteristics and even how they have decided uh, previous matters. So I think that is one feature of arbitration where I think tech certainly has a role to play, uh, which is peculiar to arbitration and not not litigation. Yeah, and I suppose that former judges and so on who become arbitrators, you would obviously be able to have a look at the way that they have decided cases, which are obviously on public record, which might to some extent give you some assistance in whether they might be suitable arbitrators for given the subject matter of the arbitration. Um, Nick, you're absolutely right with what you just say about looking at um, who's the best person to sit on the tribunal. But the other aspect is, as a funder, we don't want any challenges to the award or expensive and time-intensive sideshows which detract from the main nature of the claim, i.e. conflicts of interest. So being able for a external party to look at whether or not any of the arbitrators are potentially conflicted is hugely important to us because, as I said, the last thing we want are very expensive sideshows to the main uh, arbitration or indeed to find that the award is, is annulled because of a conflict that comes out in due course. So I think there's a very important flip side to what you just talked about. 
Turning to, a, again, to a, a related topic, which is group actions, which are obviously quite a hot topic at the moment amongst the funding community. And just having a think about how technology might help pull those together and get those funded, these sorts of cases, which tend to be multiple claimants, perhaps lower value, involve standard contracts or, or near standard term contracts, often have similar fact patterns, underlying fact patterns. And it would seem an obvious area for technology tools to be used to review and summarise the claimant's position, which might assist lawyers and, and funders taking these cases forwards. Matt, just to be curious to get your thoughts on where this market's at, what are the sort of bureaucratic issues or blockages at the moment to getting group actions off the ground? And if you think that technology has a role to play in, in helping with that? Uh, well, group actions generally are expensive to run and technology can basically assist enormously with the management of the group because ultimately without funding the claim would never be be brought because the individuals whether they're consumers or investors or the like are never going to put the money in themselves or they may start to early stage fund it but they won't take it all the way through the trial so i think technology has the ability to assist and make far more efficient the process of information gathering uh, information updates to the members of the group i think we're going to see what we are already seeing an increased number of consumer claims and as they get more and more relevant for the litigation market and for funding, technology will advance that massively because the problem with group actions is they're horrifically expensive. I've seen budgets anywhere between, I mean, at the low end, 10 to 12, and at the high end, 30 to 40 million. That's an enormous amount of money to put into a single piece of litigation. So I think the technology that can bring that cost down. And you know, when you're dealing with reams and reams of data, because if you're dealing with consumer actions, you're dealing with thousands, hundreds of thousands of individuals, and that data needs to be collated, analyzed. You've basically got to deal with what the consumers involved actually relevant to the class and, of course, what their loss was, because that may be calculated individually and not necessarily on an aggregate basis. So I think anything that streamlines group actions, mass actions will be welcomed because they are just incredibly expensive. And a lot of that is claims management. And if we can streamline the claims management process, streamline the relationship between all the claimants, all the group, and not just through the steering committee, it will make everybody's lives significantly easier. I mean, if I just add to that, and I think that's right, it's actually in everybody's interest in, in the context of large group actions to ensure that data set is there and is streamlined. And that's both true for the claimant groups. It's both true for anybody who is funding it. But it's also true for the defendant parties, which can often be large institutions, not least because they may well be the custodian of a lot of the relevant data, whether it's because we're dealing with shareholders or whether it's with, because we're dealing with customers. Um, who perhaps bought certain products in certain periods of time. And to the extent all of that data can be collected quicker and earlier, then that will make the claims management process much more fluid going forwards. And it's all data that in any event will be collected once the human claims management process has been carried out. So the data is all there and being able to get it quickly and being able to do the analytics on it quickly, I think, helps every party in large group claims. One area that I was thinking about in advance of this discussion was follow on damages claims in competition cases. And in theory, of course, once liability is established, if you could use sophisticated technology to calculate quantum across a wide group of claimants, then and avoid to the extent possible manual calculations, then clearly there would be a great advantage in that, even I suppose to the point where payouts to successful claimants could be allocated using technology. It seems to me that that would simplify 
the, the process for, for claimants, funders and lawyers and, and make the whole thing a lot more attractive. I think the other aspect with follow on damages claims is that as technology advances and it goes the way it should and indeed can do is that there will be the technology in the process by which the claimants or the claimant group could be paid out uh, automatically. But the problem with that is at the moment, funders can only be paid on an opt out basis from undistributed damages. So if there is a system by which all of the damages can be distributed, there's nothing left in the pot for the funders. So as technology advances, there will have to be a change to acknowledge the funders will need to come out pre-distribution on opt-out claims as well as on opt-in claims. But we're a while away from that now. That's it for episode four of the Future of Litigation season of Sidebar. Many thanks to Matthew and Nick for taking part and sharing their unique insights on the role that data analytics and automation can play in third-party funded litigation. Our Future of Litigation season continues in two weeks. Watch out for episode five, arriving on Tuesday, the 6th of April. Thank you for listening to Sidebar. Tune into our next episode by subscribing now and have the inside track on the latest legal issues and trends in business, law and society and what they mean for your future.